Hey everybody, this is Mainly Maine's travel and adventure host, Brian Bickford. You know that Father's Day is almost here, and you know, don't forget, go give him a call, go give him a hug, um, take him out to lunch, but just make him feel special. You know, it's okay to buy him another flannel shirt or those designer socks. He's probably got 20 in his closet somewhere, but he knows you love him, you know, but just pay some special attention to him. And hey, listen, I wanted to offer you a Father's Day treat. You know, early in the year, we actually did a show with the Blanchard family. This is 13 siblings who all get along. They contribute all their success and their creativity to their parents. And this show that we particularly did was really focused on their dad. Um, he passed a few years ago. And, and the family and some of the family actually get together every year and they climb Katahdin in the winter in honor of him. So, you know, this is a heartfelt story about their dad and, and you know, their appreciation for him. So please enjoy this second airing. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the Blanchard family. Happy Father's Day. This is Brian Bickford with Mainly Matters, and this is the Travel and Tourism Channel. I'll be interviewing people about their travel experiences, their travel businesses, and learning what makes Maine vacation land. You know, there's about 37 million people that visit Maine every single year. That's a total of expenditures of about $6.2 billion. That's $17 million per day, $708,000 per hour, almost $12,000 per minute, and about $200 every second that impacts, impacts sales in Maine. It's about 16% employment in the state as a result of tourism in Maine. So on this channel, I'll be focusing on businesses, on experiences. It's not just about business. It's about experiences. It's about the visceral experience that we all have. I love Maine. I love every corner of Maine. I like taking pictures of Maine, videotaping, talking about Maine, meeting free people from Maine, even being overseas and running into people from Maine. Maine gets into people's head. They want to climb it. They want to swim it. They want to experience Maine. Um, I just think everybody wants to be a Mainer. I'm from Maine, and I just love this state. So today's guest, we actually have someone who uh, is part of a family, a family of 13, that um, joins her brothers and sisters and friends to climb Mount Katahdin. Mount Katahdin, I've climbed several times since I've been in high school up until current. Um, I do not climb it in the winter, but this family does it in February and March every single every single year, and there's a really special reason why they do that. So, actually, today's guest is actually uh, an author of a new book that was released last year called "Balancing on the Knife Edge," and this is by Diane Blanchard Anglin. Hi, Diane. Welcome. Hi, Brian. I'm here. Okay, good. I'm glad you didn't. Uh, we didn't lose you this time. Um, <laughs> you're just probably just knocking the snow off of your your snowshoes. I heard you guys had a nice little trek today. Hey, welcome to the show. Um, we're also joined by her uh, her sister Janet. Hi, Janet. Are you with us? Yes, I am. Okay. Hi, hi, Janet, and also um, brother Michael Blanchard as well. Hi, Michael. Hi, Brian. Hey, thank you guys all for joining us. This is actually quite a, uh, uh, this is, some, you know, I love the Blanchard family. I, I've been following you guys online for, for many years and, and, and how 13 
siblings like each other, um, have great um, creative spirit, um, uh, enjoy each other, and uh, and collect friends is just beyond me. I just I just really admire you guys, and and more importantly, I love that relationship that you guys have with your mom and and, and your dad, and um, and and you know once I when when Diane when you shared the treatment uh, your first treatment on this book, and I was just taken emotionally by um, about that uh, the reason why you uh, you you felt that. Uh, Katahdin was calling you. Can you just talk a little bit about the book and about what that calling was for our listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I, you know, I didn't plan on writing a book, but I started to write down some of my experiences in Baxter Park and at Katahdin um, after, you know, the passing of my father. and. There, there's just such a special connection to the wilderness based on um, our upbringing and all the lessons that he taught. And it really melded together with our experience climbing Katahdin in the winter. You know, I got a chance to, to read the book again last night in preparation for this. And, and uh, Michael, you are somewhat of the, I guess, the the uh, the trailblazer, no pun intended, um, for uh, for this event. But can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with with Katahdin and and when you first started experiencing uh, climbing this hill? Well, um, it all started in junior high. Our guidance counselor back then, Verdell Jones, um, started an outing club and uh, brought a busload of kids to Mount Katahdin each year. And um, once I got to the mountain the first time, I was hooked. So over the years, I've climbed it many dozens of times until, um, you know, 2006, I guess. A fraternity brother of mine said he climbs it in the winter. And I said, geez, I'd love to get in on that. <laughs> and that's how, it, that's how it all started. And Diane, when you first joined Mike um, on this trip after your, your dad's passing, um, talk to me about that a little bit. What was the epiphanies that you uh, you gained from that? So after um, my dad died, I I flew back from having been in Maine with the family through the whole um, ordeal, and um, I flew back to California where I am living, and I went back to my job and I sat at my desk, <laughs> and I just couldn't get past this feeling of being stuck. Um, you know, mourning is a crazy process, and I was very much shaken, like my foundation was just rocked, you know? And um, and so I just kind of sat there, like, um, and I felt stuck. And so <laughs> I really was at a loss. And then all of a sudden I had this, I just remembered that my brother, Mike takes this winter trek up to Katahdin. And I had heard of it, you know, from him before and seen some photos and just was like, wow, that's so adventurous. And, um, I just dawned on me, like, this is what I need. I need something kind of outrageous right now to to 
jump into something adventurous and something that I could go and think about my dad, you know, and um, just kind of be in a morning state, but while being extremely active and putting myself out there. So I called up Mike <laughs> and he said, oh yeah, we're going in a week and I'm in California and I basically got on the next plane and next thing you know, it's flying east. And that was, that was 2014? That was 2014. Wow. And, uh, and Mike, what did you think? Was she ready for this? Um, absolutely. Um, you know, Diane is stronger than me. Pound for pound, no question. <laughs> and and Diane is. Uh, we have to mention that Diane is number thirteen of thirteen brothers and sisters, and um, so she's the baby of the family. And Mike, what are you? You're about number ten. Is that right? Uh, I'm number ten. Yes. Yeah. And Janet, where do you lie on this this matrix? Is it? Uh, I heard you're about number I'm seven. Right. Yeah, I'm number seven, so I'm yeah. right in the middle. Yeah, so they forgot yep. about you. At some point, you were probably never cared for because there's so many in front of you and behind you. I can't believe that to be true, what I've heard about your mom and dad. But, um, Diane, talk a little bit about your dad. Like, what kind of a man was he? Well, my dad was, um, I guess in sixth grade, I wrote a, a story about my dad, and it was called The Renaissance Man because he was interested in so many things and he was basically just a learner. You know, he was interested in learning about everything. So he had this excitement about, he was a mathematician. Um, he loved science. He loved astronomy. He loved the wilderness. He loved um, doing things with his hands. He was extremely creative um, and uh, do-it-yourself strong type person mm -hmm. so that was that was my dad he was very much um wanting to show you things with enthusiasm and suddenly you're learning about the stars and you know the moon and um and it just became everything was so interesting when he presented it the way he presented it he was a great teacher mm -hmm. and had a passion and a love for teaching and uh, I, he brought that to our whole family culture. And and Mike, what do you what do you think? What were your experiences, early experience in terms of just wanting to explore? Where did you get that from? Was that from your dad as well? Well, I I think so. Um, you know, we we grew up here in Winthrop in the woods uh, next to a pond. So every day was a wilderness experience. You know. <laughs> Be home by supper time. Right. And uh, how about you, Janet? Did you? Uh, what were your earlier experiences with kind of learning how to how to play? Because I, I know you. You're 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 just naturally um, athletic, and uh, um, you're you're very um, humble about that. But just talk to me a little bit about your early experiences with your dad. Yeah, um, my father was. Um, had, like Diane said, had many interests, and he was very inquisitive about all kinds of subjects. And one of them he loved was exploration. And he introduced me to um, the famous explorers of the North Pole and the South Pole. 
and gave me books to read. And I read about, you know, Shackleton going down the South Pole, mm-hmm. his famous book, The Endurance. I read that before it ever became popular <laughs> in in the, I guess it was the late 90s. Um, but anyway, I, I was, he made it so exciting um, whenever he talked about it. And so I was in, so intrigued. I, he, he knew I was, gave me the books to read and I read what he gave me and I, you know, there's a part of me that takes after him and that I want to go and explore and be out in nature. And then when I had the opportunity to go with my siblings on this trip, um, it, you know, I, I, I started a few years ago. This was my fourth time this yeah, winter. going, And it's kind of like a sense of, Exploration. Yeah, you know, and I, I have to go back to that one place, Diane, where you and Mike are at. You're at the top there, and and you wrote something in the snow. What did you write in the snow? Well, when we when we headed out on that trek in 2014, um, just kind of rallied around a little goal, and the goal was to try to summit. But the the real reason was to get up above the clouds and say hi to dad and so we rode in the snow um actually it was it was cloud cover <laughs> it was it was like a whiteout and we're we're climbing up we're getting close to the summit and we're like oh it's kind of a bummer because you know we're in the clouds we're not above them um and it was all white out but so we get to the top and then it's, sure enough, the clouds parted and it was like a blue sky we just looked at each other like this is unbelievable and we wrote hi dad in the snow Mm. at the top (laughs) it's picture perfect yeah and i love that quiet look that you you talk about in the book of looking at mike and looking at you and you're both just getting it right yeah you have your balaclava on which is basically covering every square inch and then you got your um ski goggles (laughs) so you can just make out the squinty eyes and the the knowing look behind the ski goggles. It's a very nice moment. You know, your dad was a he was a Bowdoin graduate. Is that what I heard? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And he played uh, he played hockey and, and baseball, and he, he pretty much excelled at all that, didn't he? Yeah, he was a a pretty extreme athlete, well known. Um, his he and his brothers were well known in the Arlington, Massachusetts area. The Blanchard brothers yeah, yeah. for many, many sports. Yeah. And, and so let's just talk about um, Mother Blanchard. Now, what was she, what was she thinking about, you know, you know, all these, all these uh, treks of Mike and then, um, you know, and then, you know, then the, you know, the girls joining as well. What are, what are her thoughts about all this? <laughs> she, she was a little well, nervous. <laughs> a little nervous. No. Worried yeah. for us. Mm-hmm. She thought that um, she loved how all of her her children were um, strong and capable and doing a lot of sports. And we got a lot of strength and emotional and mental strength from our mother as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, she she would say something like, "Honestly, you know, do you <laughs> do you really <laughs> do you need to climb up?" The mountain in the winter. Yeah, right. 
That makes <laughs> no <laughs> sense. That makes no mostly sense. Mostly happy when. <laughs> <laughs> mostly happy when we would come home and she could feed us. Yeah, but you know, isn't it isn't it isn't it supposed to be? Isn't it part of the job description? Isn't it like to always blame the older brother? Well, it's his fault, you know. And uh, <laughs> let's 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 like, let's talk about blaming the older brother for a moment. I love. There's a lot of lesson here in terms of um, decision making, and and there's a lot of decisions that have to be made um, quite a bit on that mountain. And you know, and I and I know that Mike, that you know, there has to be leaders, and there has to be people that need to be led. And Mike, talk a little bit about that that leader. Um, process that you go through when you're leading every year one of the most difficult climbs, um, climbs in the state of Maine. What is your what is your 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 management style with that? Well, it's kind of learn as you go. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, um, you know, try to use common sense is the, the main thing, and um, you know, we got to get home to our families. Yeah, you know, and but you, when we yeah, go ahead. Hmm? Yep. Well, when we get up on the mountain, you never know what's going to be available to you because of um, the weather and avalanche danger. So you can't really plan ahead too much. And then when you get into a situation like we did, we all we all discuss it and uh, come up with a plan that we all feel comfortable with. Well, you know, there's a, there's been some experience, particularly in the book, where you talk about Diane. You talk a little bit about um, that uh, Ian and Ian and um, uh, Janet. Um, and it, there's three of them that decided to not to go down saddle, and you guys took a took a strong look at Knife's Edge and decided to go that way. Can you talk a little bit about that experience going across Knife's Edge? Uh, there were nine of you, and uh, and six decided to go cross Knife's Edge. Talk to talk to us. Talk to the the listener a, a bit about that experience. Okay. Well, that year um, we <clears throat> made it to the summit in really good time, um, and it was a beautiful, unbelievable sunny day. I mean, landing a sunny day mm. in the winter on the top of Mount Katahdin is it's like winning the lottery. Right. right. <laughs> You know, and so we we were at the summit and we said, um, we also, there's a lot of discussion with the ranger. Mm-hmm. We get, you know, get a lot of input from the experts there. Um, and so the ranger, you know, the outlook and everything looked like if there was a day to go across Knife's Edge, that was a really good possibility. Um, and But like Mike said, you when you, the actual conditions on the ground can't be guessed, right? You figure them out when you're there. Right. And um, the knife's edge seemed, and it was really approachable. The The whole knife's edge, although is very challenging, um, it had kind of a nice mix of snow and ice and things that our crampons could walk on. And so it was decided that we could give it a go. Now there was a little bit of um. It wasn't as easy as you might make it sound. There were th- there was some decision making that had to go on on that trip, and um, mm-hmm. I think there were three options that you guys look. Talk about those three options that were weighed out. Okay. Um, well, if you know the nice edge, it's about a mile long, 
and it comes to a notch. It comes to a uh, kind of a dramatic drop down into a chimney type area at um, Chimney Peak. And when we got there, um, Mike took a look at the edge, you know, so you need, you need to kind of traverse down right. at a moment there. And it was covered with a, um, unexpectedly covered with a, f- a full layer of ice. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the type of ice that was thick enough to screw into with any kind of um, ice bolts. Um, so it was problematic right. at that moment. Um, so then we, there really was some options to think of. Option one, we could turn around and go back along Knife's Edge, kind of back where we came. And that would have taken how long? How long would it have taken to turn back? Um, Mike, what do you think? Boy, several several hours to get back to the top right. of the mountain. Yeah. Um, judging on what we did this past weekend, it took a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And then you had a uh, you had another option to to consider. What was that second option? Um, Go ahead. uh, The first option was to go down in the notch, and it was for our group, uh, sure death. (laughs) (laughs) Not a good option. (laughs) So option option two was to turn around. Um, You know, there are there are some guys out there that are very capable, and they would have jumped right into the notch um, successfully without problem. But that wasn't our group. So then, so option three was to skirt around it, and that was the most adventurous option that we had available to us. Yeah, and it started to get a little dark, didn't it? Uh, at that time, no. Um, I don't know what it was, about three, three o'clock, three o'clock. 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. 3, 3.30. <laughs> and you, uh, what time did you, um, did you re- 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 guess re- return back to the cabin? Well, so we we did the option to skirt around, which took us down the backside of Chimney Peak. Right. And that's when, um, after a few, it did take a few hours to get a group of six, you know, safely down, um, off-trail type of a path. And it was then that the wind started to pick up. Um, it had been such a windless day, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden, um, you know, I think it's because we were approaching Pomola Peak. Right. And there is a uh, spirit god, Pomola. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> I think he he all, all of a sudden noticed our presence, and so the wind started to pick up. <laughs> so I don't want you, I don't want to skirt this either. But um, tell me a little bit. Let's just let's just sidebar for a second about what does Pomola actually? What does Pomola look like? What is its characteristics? Well, um, I I put in the book the a little bit about Pomola's spirit, right. according to Penobscot tribe legend. Mm-hmm. Pomola's Pomola's spirit inhabits Katahdin. He's part man with the head of a moose, the wings and feet of an eagle. 
and he is feared as the god of thunder who brings cold weather and is the protector of the mountain. Well, anybody that looks like that, I am going to fear. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> that sounds horrible, you know. But um, so we uh, yeah. we we give a little reverence and uh, to Pomola as we're approaching Pomola Peak. So um, we made our way down the backside of Chimney. It did go, start to get late, and then we were faced with climbing up the other side of the notch onto Pomola Peak. Well, there's and, a little, uh, little little issues occurred too. I just want to touch on. I tell us about sh- sewing machine. And what sewing machine actually means to our listeners. So just so you understand, there's a a mix of, um, you know, experienced (laughs) climbers in our group. And I, at the time, you know, had some, a medium amount of experience. I'll put it that way. So I'm, I'm hanging on, um, on the side. And sometimes when you are in the same position, um, rock climbing or mountain climbing and your your muscles get fatigued yeah. they sometimes start to kind of um, vibrate it, you know and, and you have this uncontrollable spasm in your um, calves <laughs> when you're standing in the same position mm-hmm. and suddenly it looks kind of like you're running a sewing machine with your leg wow. <laughs> involuntarily so I, um, yeah, I felt like I was sewing a blanket. Yeah, um, that, that's not a good image, I think, <laughs> on a knife's edge or any, anything that has to do with ice, I think. Wow. Uh, yeah. Man. Hey, so, I want to I want to mention just this because I I don't want to miss this in this interview, but uh, there was nine hikers this year, and I believe that um you know some really good friends and good people have been doing it for a long time, and um there's Chris Blanche has been there, is it Ryan Reed, and um I think there's John Miles and and Jim Thibodeau and uh, Dale LaRoche and uh, and Doug Comstock is there. He's been kind of a long term hiker of you guys. Um, Mike, can you talk about that friendship and how that bond and how these guys just still want to do it? And I know that Doug also had a special mission as well. Um, yes. Are you, are you talking about the the stones yes. from mm-hmm. the Summit Project? Yes. Yeah, that, that particular year, and I think a couple of years after that, um, he would get a stone from the Summit Project in Portland and bring it up a mountain um, in honor of the fallen soldier. Yeah, we should probably mention that uh, I believe that uh, uh, Doug is a veteran. He served uh, four years in uh, in the United States Marine Corps and uh, continues to uh, do his honor as they are him and he is them um, by honoring uh, fallen soldiers uh, of different uh, ranks. Um, and he's, he feels fortunate, I believe. Um, I like what you said, Diane, about um, it is his character that uh, that he will make sure that that gets to the top and safely returned. Is that his character? Yeah, that pretty much sums up Doug. I mean, he is a stellar human being. Um, and when he was, you know, bringing his summit project um, stone and shared it with the group, you know, we we just, it's something that you will rally around. And we all just knew that we would do everything in our power to make sure that this stone had not only a wild and great adventure on the way up, mm-hmm. but was for sure going to make it 
all the way and all the way back safely. You know, we all got to embrace that whole thing together. It's really special. Yeah, it is. And and Janet, how does this? Um, what does this feel like for you? This is this is your fifth year or fourth year doing it with your brother and sister. This is my fourth time. Yeah, and what is it? What does it, what does it feel like for you? What are the? What do you think about? And what does it? What does it mean at the end of the day for you? Wow. Um, I just really, really enjoy the the camaraderie with my siblings and sharing a really, um, you know, interesting, wild, um, adventurous time in beautiful, wild Maine, you know, and experiencing, um, whatever comes or, you know, the weather, um, Whatever might happen, you know, it Hopefully just seems so, <laughs> seems so seems so personal, and it seems so. Um, at the same time, you know, it's uh, it's engaging and it's uh, it's relaxing, and it's all the things that maybe you feel all in a very short period of time. Hey, would you mind? Um, I wouldn't mind. I want to call to you, Diane. Would you mind reading something for us? I love the uh, the poem that uh, you and. Ian had written on page 55 called Pomola Speaks. Would you mind reading that passage? Sure. So Pomola Speaks. As we trekked on the forbidden peaks through clouds and wind, Pomola Speaks. With a message of clear disdain, do not climb here again. Venturing up to Baxter's steeple, We were not born from fearful people. My attitude determines my altitude up in the sky. Asking Pomola's hard-won permission to sit atop Appalachian's end position, then transition safely down, having humbly graced Pomola's crown. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. How did you guys collaborate on that? How did that come together? Well, we like to um, thank Pomola anytime that we are graced with being able to get on the mountain at all. And when we get punished um, by maybe 30 below wind chill factor (laughs) (laughs) Um, or, you know, Ice, little icicles hitting your goggles with a 25 mile an hour gust mm-hmm. as we're trying to make our way up Cathedral Trail. We, you know, we laugh at Pomola. Pomola's punishing us. Pomola's giving it to us. And um, so we we were texting each other little quips about Pomola. You know, do not climb here again and things like that we would imagine. What would you tell our listeners about doing such a hike? Mike, what would you tell listeners about um, the uh, being careful and about being prepared to our listeners? Well, of course, being careful and prepared are uh, of the utmost importance. Um, it's certainly something that you should uh, try to do at some point if you have that kind of um, I think I may have lost you. No, nope. I'm still here. Yep. Oh, you're doing good. Um, I'm sorry. 
I think it's certainly something that you should do if you have that kind of uh, lust for adventure. Um, but being prepared uh, is something that you gain from somebody else over time. So going with somebody else first and learning learning things as you go is um, very important. Could you give me an equipment check right now? <laughs> I'm heading an up equipment check? I'm heading up with you and you're saying, Brian, do you have, what am I bringing with me? Oh, uh, well, of course you need uh, your backpack with some extra stuff. You, of course, you need initially your crampons, um, your helmet. You'll need extra clothes in your bag. You'll need some kind of survival kit. Um, so if you get hurt or somebody else gets hurt, you'll need some kind of bivy sack to get in or put somebody else in. Mm-hmm. Um, some food, extra water, um, stuff like that. Ice yeah. sack. What else? So I, I heard uh, you also have satellite phones with you. You have, um, right? Does everybody have one? Or is there a few that's just, if, if the group splits up, do you have a satellite phone? Uh, we don't have a satellite phone, no. We okay. have mm-hmm. hand radios. Hand radios, okay. Yeah, hand radios. And um, when you sign out at the ranger station, um, you leave the channel that you will be talking on. So we could have uh, communications with the ranger as well. Right. Right. So, and I think that's one of the things that was mentioned in the book that the ranger was able to communicate um, with you. And then he was able to get to Janet um, and kind of give them an update on where you guys were and that there was nothing to worry, but you might be spending the night on uh, on the mountain, but you, uh, <laughs> you surprised everybody with a knock on the door and, and came in and uh, expected dinner. Is that what happened? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> we finally made our way down at 10 at night, or I think, and um, came right in. And, man, were we happy to see everybody, and they were happy to see us, and they had dinner all ready and waiting for us. <laughs> yeah. That's so yeah, we that just, is a gleeful moment. Praying, praying that they would show up yeah. and make it in safely. That was very um, stressful. Uh, time in the cab and just waiting and wondering when, if they were going to make it down uh, Dudley. Yeah, and let's uh, just let's just be uh, let's be real with this that that people do die on that mountain. People do experience some um, hikers do make mistakes. Um, there are accidents, and some people don't get home. Um, and I love what your dad's quote was, Diane, and it said, uh, mm-hmm. "It's the best swimmers that drowned." So just be prepared for the, uh, and have a good team with you and, uh, don't take it lightly. Be prepared that you're just physically capable of doing that. And you're able to assess, uh, with your team, how to, um, how to traverse down and, uh, um, and just have that preparation of food and, and warmth. Um, what, um, so, so we're we're into a few years of doing this. What is the legacy of this climb? What do we? What do you hope for this in the future? I'll, you go, Diane. Well, um, this group that that goes every year is, a, is such a great mix of um, friends and family, um, and you know we we have many 
others in the group, like our nephews, have gone. Um, Mike's daughter has gone. Um, our nephews Ian and Chris have gone many years um, over and over. I think that the legacy is really just continuing um, our family members and our our close friends and keeping it going. I know I have a um, soon-to-be 13-year-old son who is extremely interested in joining our group okay. when he's old enough. Um, so I think that's you know, that's the legacy. It's really about the strength of the relationships. It's the time spent getting there. It's the journey. It's not, you know, the goal of summiting or anything like that. It's really about the time spent, the bonding that happens when you go out on a limb, you know, you have a little adventure. It's a, you push yourself. There's always challenges always challenges and so we always get a little closer every time we do it and do you um do you feel your dad every time yeah i mean for me it's really there's several times during the trek that just are that's what reminds me of what the lessons many of the lessons that my father brought Mm -hmm. of like perseverance and strength he was always so strong and he always did everything to the best of his ability. And so when you're in the you know, harshest conditions and you're pulling a hundred pound, <laughs> seems like a hundred pound sled, mm-hmm. um, wondering why you pack so much stuff, you know, there's that perseverance and that strength that my dad brought to us. Mm-hmm. So he always comes to mind. He used to say, when you have to like, chop wood or do something really hard he used to say give it hell <laughs> uh, it was just, just like reminds you to just like put all put your all into it yeah you know it seems so, like he did he, he smile did. a lot did he smile did he have a good smile he was always making jokes yeah. and always smiling yeah. and had little quips about everything yeah. um he so he just really had a joy in life so here's the tough. Here's a real tough question for you. I'm going to give this to you, Michael. Um, what does it take to be a Blanchard, and can anybody get in? <laughs> Good question. Um, I don't know how to answer that. Uh, we are Blanchard, so there's no, um, you know, there's no sign-up sheet. Is it, uh, what are the characteristics of a Blanchard? Well, I think from our folks, um, you know, they've, they've passed along, um, you know, characteristics of, you know, honesty and hardworking. Um, I like to believe uh, kind, uh, generous children who all seem to get along and, um, you know, we have a, a, a way of getting along with most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you, Janet? Does that sound about right? Well, I think we, coming from such a large family, we we learned a lot of lessons of, you know, sharing uh, patience, um, living in close quarters, and, um, you know, and getting along and not 
equivalent, you know, quarreling. Our father would always remind us to um, respect each other and mind your elders and, you know, learn to get exactly. along because your family, your siblings are going to be your best friends in life. Mm. And so to always remember that in how you treat each other. And that was mm. one of his um, favorite, uh, well, he's, he called it his the biggest blessing of my parents' life um, was that he had children that all loved and respected each other and got along mm-hmm. and cared about each other. And that was mm-hmm. a big, um, you know, he was really proud of that. Both my parents were very proud of that. And he told us, Diane and I, in the last days of his life, when we were taking care of him, um, that he was so happy that mm-hmm. that's how we were and are with each other. We're all very close. Well, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And I, I think that uh, our listeners will also feel that same thing. And I feel it from you guys all the time. Every time I get to, I see something about you or whatever, and I, I get a feeling of that and I get weepy about, about you guys. Cause I, unfortunately, I, I wish I could be born in, but it's just never going to happen. I'll just pretend I'm a Blanchard. I'm going to tell people I'm a Blanchard. I'm changing my name tomorrow, but okay, Diane, I'm putting you on the spot. Name all 13. Quick, go. <laughs> Diane, Danny, Annie, Mike, Rob, Nick, Jan, John, Kathy, Mary, Tom, Paul, Joe. Is that right, Mike? Was that <laughs> How was that? Was that right? I, can't, I don't know. If it was yeah, right. she got it mostly okay. right. All right. Well, listen, guys, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Diane, tell us where our, our listeners can find your book. Oh, my book is on Amazon, Balancing on the Knife Edge. Great. And uh, it comes in a couple different formats. Have it mailed to you and also maybe downloadable. It is not downloadable yet. That is a 2021 goal. That's coming to us. Well, uh, Janet, thank you so much. We've been friends forever. Michael, real pleasure. I'm a, I'm a fan. And, and Diane, I hope we stay in touch. Uh, this is Brian Bickford. You are listening to Mainly Matters, the travel and tourism channel. I have had a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. Thank Thanks you. so much, have, Brian. Have a good night. Signing off. Good night. Bye-bye. You as well.